Disclaimer, this website does not provide medical advice. The information included, but not limited to, text, graphics, images, and other material contained on this website are the property of Center for Autism and Related Disorders, LLC, CARD, and for informational purposes only. The purpose of this website is to promote broad caregiver understanding and knowledge of various health topics. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have read on this website or information provided in these webinars. With us, it's a 4 o'clock straight up, and of course my internet is going to choose now to have issues. Uh, so I'm sorry if I'm sticking and glitching a little bit. Hopefully that will get better. Uh, but excited that you guys are here. Come on in. Bonnie is here with me and we're going to get started in just a minute. I want to go over a couple of things as we get started. And I'm thrilled the, the room is, uh, you guys are pouring in. That's great. Um, you can ask questions. Bonnie's got a message that she is going to deliver to us. So she's going to talk for probably a good 15 minutes or so here and, and give us an update on some things that I think are super important that we want to know about. Um, but then, then we're going to open it up and ask for questions. Now that doesn't mean you have to wait until she's done to ask questions. You can ask questions while she's talking and there are two different places that you can ask questions. And one of them is in the chat box, which I'm going to uh, put uh, questions here so that you guys can see it'll come up on your screen and you can see that's where um, you can ask questions. Um, there is another place that's under Q&A that you can also ask questions. I want you to know that your question is confidential and your name is confidential. No one can see that except for me, Bonnie, and our moderator, Jackson. Um, so feel free to write in. Um, we may read your question, but if you specifically say, don't say this part, we won't, we will never say your name. We will not disclose who you are. Um, and already we have a question in the Q&A. I'm very excited because Bonnie Yates is here with us and she is a remarkable person that I have known for probably I don't know, maybe 15 years now, uh, which is really incredible. She has been a tremendous help to me on many different occasions uh, for a wide variety of different things, but she is a special education attorney extraordinaire from the law offices, the Tolner Law Offices, let's say that. Uh, so Bonnie, I, I want for you to um, talk a little bit about that. I want you to tell them a little bit about Tolner Law Offices, but I'm just excited that we have an opportunity, like so many people, I've been a little up a tree about this state of the special education and what happens with COVID. So thrilled to have an opportunity to have you guys here with her and to hear what she has to say. But um, Bonnie, welcome and thank you. And tell, tell us a little bit about you and Tolner Law Offices and, and, and have at it. I'm going to mute myself, but I'm going to be here. Oh, you are muted. I muted myself, but I'm also going to make my picture go away, um, but I'll be here the whole time. So, All right. Something new and different. Uh, Toner Law Offices is an eight-attorney special education firm. We're based in San Jose, Los Angeles, and Irvine, California. Um, we do Autism Live about once a week, and we try to uh, talk about topics related to special education and um, give you an opportunity on the air to learn about those topics so you 
be a better self-advocator. And we also tell you that if you have a specific legal problem, you probably need to, to have a focused conversation with an attorney in your state. And if that state is California or Arizona, Tolner Law Offices can assist you with that. If you go to the website, you fill out our um, intake form. Um, if you're outside of California, I usually direct you to copaa.net. That's a reliable directory of special ed attorneys in the other um, states. So um, with that, what I wanted to do today is I wanted to uh, have more of an opportunity for us to all get together and reflect on what's been happening and what we've been learning uh, since around, you know, March uh, 11th or so. And I wanted to tell you, you know, Shannon feels like she's up a tree. I kind of realized in, in talking to you about this material, it was going to be different for me because it's all new for me, too. So I just want to let you all know that we're all in the same position and in a lot of ways it's uncomfortable, but there's also always kind of an opportunity in the crisis and there are ways to be to be creative with what's happening on the ground because the school district doesn't really know what you know what the the right or wrong way of doing things is either. And so there is um, an opportunity um, in the crisis to tell the school district how you think things ought to be done. And that's what I'm trying to do uh, as we try to make sense of, of um, the situation as it unfolds. So uh, I'm gonna talk to you, I'm calling this my COVID town hall meeting. <laughs> uh, maybe we should just call it our, you know, surviving school closure town hall meeting. I want to talk to you about about some things that have come up. We're going to have a lot of time for questions. Uh, let me just give you the the framework, I think, for all of this first, or sort of, you know, like what the operating assumptions are, because uh, all of you have a good understanding about how the IDEA works, and you understand the district has an annual obligation to offer you a free, appropriate public education. If you have an IEP, if you have a 504 plan, they have other obligations to you. We could talk about those too, because those have changed also during this time. Um, so uh, in, I'm gonna talk about California, but I'm also gonna talk about the United States and the federal government. But just here in California, for those of you in California, our governor moved very, very quickly to to try to address the issue of school within the context of an emerging um, health crisis. And by March 17th, he had, he had put something in place and we had a Senate bill called Senate Bill 117. And I wanna tell you uh, what's in it because I, I think it's very interesting. I don't wanna get too into uh, a state specific thing or the politics of it. Um, I'm hearing different things, but um, but it is interesting what happened here, and it may provide some answers about what has gone on in your state. So um, what our what our governor was focused on was he set aside a hundred million dollars to try to deal with the school closure problems, and his goals were basically um, to make sure that students uh, did still get an education, even though they were going to get um, they were going to um, be at home. And I'm sorry, the $100 million um, was uh, for, uh, in addition to school-related things, um, 
education-related things, there was also supposed to be money available for PPE funding and supplies and labor for disinfecting and making schools safe. So that's just kind of interesting. I didn't know that. His notion was to keep, um, keep funding in place so that you could continue paying employees and, and you know, keep school open, albeit virtually. Where it got uh, confusing, I think, to me was why districts were given such absolutely broad latitude in interpreting how they were gonna deliver IEPs during distance learning. And I think what most of us have been seeing is that the amount of education that's being offered through a distance learning program doesn't compare to what would you know, be available to you if you were in school with an IEP. Um, I've heard rumors that, uh, that Gavin Newsom cut a deal with the unions. I don't know what, whether that's true or not, but the net result is the teachers are, are being paid to teach full-time and to, to deliver this distance learning. Um, so uh, according to uh, what I read, uh, the um, money was only available to the school districts if they were gonna fund distance learning, meals for students, and a high quality um, educational opportunity and arrange for the supervision of children during school hours if practicable. So initially, along with this, um, he changed some rules as relates to the timelines for assessments um, and the holding of IEPs. And I think initially it seemed as if there was gonna be a lot of waivers and a lot of relaxation of rules but what happened about a month later was that the federal government came out and indicated that a lot of waivers weren't necessary. I'm gonna get into the specifics of that. So I think there was a little bit of a push me pull you thing where the school districts for about a month thought that they could you know, do what was practical or convenient for them. And then no, they heard from the federal government that actually they still needed to be providing um, a FAPE to children. To the, to the extent that they could. So um, while Senate Bill 117 does extend assessment timelines, the, the timelines for getting records and the timelines for responding to uniform complaints, um, in theory, there hasn't been a waiver of any other issues. So um, that leaves us all scratching our head because a lot of the people that I have talked to feel that the distance learning has not been enough in terms of what it provides and how it works um, or number of hours a day of instruction. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I just wanted to read you quickly, this is now shifting to the federal government, um, what uh, uh, was said about uh, the need for school districts to um, comply with the IDEA during school closure. When preparing for this talk, I got all my source references from Special Ed Connection, which is an online database for special educators used a lot by school districts and school district attorneys. Um, I like quoting what they're telling me the law says, because in a lot of cases, what they're saying is actually helpful to us and they can't dispute it. So what the federal government said was that uh, what was needed was innovation and not waivers for the IDEA. 
Schools do not need waivers for core IDEA requirements, such as providing FAPE in the least restrictive environment, nor do they need any additional flexibility for complying with the Every Student Succeeds Act during the national emergency uh, caused by the coronavirus. And this was what Betsy DeVos, the US Secretary of Education, said in a report to Congress when asked to um, respond to this question of how the IDEA should work during um, a time of a national health emergency. Um, so I think that that's really important because um, as far as we're concerned, then students still have the right to a free appropriate public education and the issue is how it's going to be delivered at home. The other thing she did that's interesting for those of you with young children was she said that children that are receiving services under Part C early start of the IDEA should continue to have those services until such time as um, the district can meet with parents and hold an IEP meeting. So that's sort of the, the backdrop of all of this. I, I wanted to let you know that that's going on. And then I found in doing my research, some other things that are interesting that I wanted to share with you and then we'll get to your questions. So um, one thing that I gave to Shannon and she's gonna put up wherever she puts up these things is a checklist for educators uh, to um, document IEP compliance uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and it's, it, it's it, she'll put it up, you can look at it, but it's just, it's very straightforward. It says dates and times special education and related services were provided, minutes of special education provided, paren versus amount required by IEP. So they're thinking about that. Names of staff members who provided instruction and services, any changes, e.g. delivery method in the provision of special education and related services, how student responded to such changes, any negative or positive effects on the student resulting from such changes, accommodations and modifications provided to the student, delays in providing services, convening IEP meetings, completing evaluations and reevaluations, factors, e.g. infrastructure safety that affected the provision of related services to the student, reasons for changing or not providing specific services or instruction required by the IEP, communications with parents concerning IEP implementation and changes. So I bet that all of you that have been doing distance learning didn't realize that there were all these considerations that were supposed to be applied to how you were getting your distance learning delivered. So um, what is a distance learning plan? Well, from what I can tell, and I was just dealing with one for a, for a student yesterday, a distance learning plan is a plan that basically takes your um, IEP and your related services and documents what you're gonna get instead during school closure. What's interesting about this and where I said there's creativity involved is that uh, I think that in some instances, the distance learning plans are being adopted informally and they're not being formalized. So a client of mine was telling me that she was getting calls from each different service provider and call from the case carrier, but nobody's working cohesively to develop one document and one, one learning plan. So uh, what we did in that instance was we wrote the district and said, we don't think these telephone calls are working. Will you please put together 
what the distance learning plan is going to look like, and then we can have a discussion about it. So you want to make sure your distance learning plan is in writing, and you shouldn't feel shy about asking them to do more. And the reason that I say that is because that's the state of the law right now. The district should be, you know, appropriately ambitious, ambitious about this, and they should try as much as they can to conform to the services of the IEP, even though they're going to be given some latitude. But I don't think automatically, like six hours a day of educational instruction should turn into a half an hour a day. I don't, I don't understand um, why that would logically follow. Now, the distance learning plan is not supposed to be a change in placement, meaning when school reopens, there shouldn't be any issue that this was a temporary plan, but sometimes there are issues anyway. So I want you to document on your distance learning plan that this is a temporary plan intended to operate during school closure. And by the way, if school closure continues into the fall, there's nothing that prevents you from having another IEP talking about what's working and what isn't working and, and revising the, the distance learning plan. So um, that is what's going on with uh, distance learning plans, um, more or less in the 50 states. Um, there are some other considerations that I just wanted to pass on quickly to you, and then we can get to your questions. So um, one of the things that's being... The paper, I'm going to stop you for one second, Bonnie. The papers are right up against the mic, so just know that, that when you ruffle the papers... Oh. Uh, they're right up against the mic. Just want you to know, because oh, uh, I hate oh, it. I hate it when I'm doing that. And nobody tells me. Oh, I just want to backtrack for a second, though, and <laughs> check to make sure that I have what you're saying. So, because people are already writing in questions about is 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 FAPE still a thing during this COVID emergency? So, uh, tell me if I got this correct. What you were saying is that the directive is that it very much is the thing. There are no waivers, there's nothing being taken away from FAPE, but there is, is now a directive that they have to use innovation to be able to do it. And that checklist that you gave that we're gonna talk in a second about how we're gonna get that to everybody, that now they have, they have to give us a distance learning plan well, or they should. Okay, well, so we go back to the, if any district, if the district is going to offer services to the, to the regular education students, they have to offer them to the special education students. What's happened is there's been some, there's been some relaxations of laws requiring a certain number of ed minutes a day, or that school is supposed to occur on school grounds, things that affect, you know, average daily attendance, but they're still supposed to be flexible and be creative and try the best they can to implement as much of the IEP as they can. And how do we know this? Because there's already big discussions going on about what comp compensatory education may be owed to students for the education they get during the time that distance learning plans are in place. I'm gonna talk about uh, comp ed in a minute, but before I did that, I wanted to just hit on some other general issues. And then as I said, we'll take the questions. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk. You now your mic it, se it seems like you're a little bit quieter than you were before. You liked the volume before, but then uh, there we go. Okay. So, all right. All right. Uh, okay. So uh, teachers are being told. Uh, this is interesting for you to know. Um, to document modifications, attempts to reach parents, uh, they're told to develop and use tracking forms to show good faith effort to contact parents or to implement the IEP. They're also required to continue 
uh, with notice requirements, including prior written notice. Um, as far as due process hearings in the state of California, we're carrying on. Uh, the timelines haven't been relaxed. It's still 45 days from the date you file your hearing request. And, and um, the difference is that we're gearing up for, and the state has just started to do a few virtual hearings, which is a weird topic. And if you, if you uh, have questions about how those hearings are gonna work, I'm happy to talk about that in the, in the context of, of your questions. But there are all kinds of issues obviously presented by you know, doing a hearing uh, virtually at home without your client with you, et cetera. So those, those are issues. Um, parents are being, I mean, sorry, educators are being told that they need to deal with situations where a student is home and in severe behavior. And they're told that basically if the parent is willing, they're gonna have to work with the parent almost as a behavior therapist because that's who's working with the child. So they're being told that these are things that you may need to do or offer to people who are dealing with students at home who have severe behavior problems. You're supposed to offer training and counseling. Uh, you're supposed to teach uh, calming and positive reinforcement techniques, uh, help the parent figure out how to limit distractions in the learning environment, uh, suggest possible that the parents have a cool down room, help the parents develop um, school routines and mimic the school setting as much as possible, develop a schedule of positive reinforcers that the parent can use for the child in the learning environment, uh, connect parents to uh, virtual support groups, provide live instruction if, if virtual isn't good. In other words, there's, there's a recognition that, that virtual is not the same as a live interactive virtual um, educational um, meeting. Um, and document problems and brainstorming that you did with parents um, regarding same. And uh, there's encouragement to, to uh, educators to meet with parents to determine services are provided. So I don't know how many of you have had an IEP since school closure, but I'm recommending that all of you should have. We're getting very close to the end of the year. And I think you're gonna be in much better shape if you have a formal meeting that's recorded and you document what you're doing until school closure's over because it's not gonna be over by the end of the school year. We all know that. So that's um, something I wanna suggest that you do. Um, there's also, um, oops, microphone, sorry. There's also a Part B money available for assistive technology and some students are gonna need more assistive technology to learn at home. So that's something you can ask your district for. Uh, with regard to graduation, educators are being told to look at the following. What credits did the student have for 11th grade? What, student, what credits did the student get in the first half of the 12th grade school year? Was distance learning successful? What unmet goals or unmet graduation requirements does the student have? Um, what evidence of there is? Uh, what evidence is there of progress? And if the student hasn't met all of his goals for graduation, could he or she fulfill them during extended school year? So um, those are some other considerations that that might come up um, during school closure. With respect to the compensatory education, districts are being told that they should be prepared that they are going to have to provide compensatory education. So there's an expectation on the part of the federal government 
that um, next year there's going to be a reconciliation between what you should have gotten and what you got and different ways are being talked about to do that, including starting school earlier um, than the normal uh, time in the fall and, and so on. I just want to read you because it's fun, a little bit of that they're putting up on the website for special educators, right? Not parents. Compensatory education will most likely see an increase after coronavirus. The IDEA regulations contain ways for using funds in the absence of new waivers. Focusing on providing FAPE now may limit what courts order later. How to pay for compensatory services? IDEA regs show the way. With unprecedented school closures potentially coming between students with disabilities and IEP-related services, the post-coronavirus state of special education might involve covering the costs of significantly more compensatory services than districts have ever had to provide. In preparation, districts can turn to IDEA regulations requirements as a guidepost. So uh, there's more there. I didn't read you the whole thing. I can share this on the on the. Um, I can share this with you, Shannon, if people want that particular. Um, blurb. But, um, you know, that basically brings us to the present. And um, the only other other thing I want to say before we get to the present is that the federal government is beginning to talk about reopening, reopening plans, and what's going to need to happen when, when kids go back to school. And they're telling educators an initial reevaluation really may be necessary for some, you know, students who've been out of school. And for students that are um, pending evaluation and haven't been made eligible yet for special education, they should prioritize those evaluations as well. Um, review IEPs and adjust for the transition. So that's something else your IEP meeting might want to uh, take into account as a transition back to school. Um, there's going to be a need uh, for uh, the federal government says for universal mental health support, whether that's uh, students that are disoriented because they've been out of school and they've regressed or because they've lost somebody close to them uh, to COVID-19 and they need, you know, grief support. Um, regarding this period of time, the federal government says most students will regress or show signs of academic difficulty and possibly because of that, um, you will have to do more to support them when, when they're coming back in. Also, if a student has health consequences as a result of having been uh, stricken with COVID-19, that might be a basis for making the student eligible under other health impairments. So that's interesting. Anyway, um, comp ed is being contemplated by the federal government. The federal government is telling the state educators to work with parents to find mutually agreeable timelines for things um, and the other concerns for teachers um, and educators is, you know, what kind of assessments can you do in this time period? I'm not going to cover assessments specifically now because I think you'll have questions about them. How do we get general ed teachers access to students' IEPs? And then I read one other interesting thing, which is a suggestion um, from the special ed connection people that maybe what each district should do is have what's called a captain for IT, IT who could reach out to individual families and figure out whether they have adequate technology support during school closure. 
So that's a lot of stuff for you all to think about. Um, I'm happy to take questions if people have them. I think that's- Oh, there are what, questions. What we know now. There are so, so many questions. Uh, okay, but I wanna start with the fact that you had that checklist that you were giving us, um, and then there was something else that you read that you said that you could give me. I wanna say to everybody who's watching us live, if you would like for it to be on a list to have those resources emailed to you, you need to write your email address into the chat box. No one will be able to see it except for me and Bonnie and Jackson, our moderator. Um, and you need to do that before the end of the meeting. If you're watching this recorded, you can send an email to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com to be able to get those resources. And we will get those to you as quick as we can. That'll probably be first thing in, I don't know, tomorrow. It'll be sometime tomorrow. Um, so, and Bonnie, thank you for those resources. Uh, we, we love, I know you always call them the goodies and they are goodies. They are goodies. Um, <laughs> so, and now that everything's, okay, now that everybody's writing in, let me start uh, by asking some of these questions. Because a lot of the questions were, how do we get a hold of the checklist? How do we do that? So that helps to answer that question. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to try to take the questions in order and do the best we can here because there are a lot of them. My son does not engage in remote learning whatsoever. I'm also working and I don't have the time. What will happen to his IEP and services being that he is absent and not attending? The child is six years old and in kindergarten. Uh, so somebody's providing childcare for that child during the day, correct? I mean, ideally, what wh whomever that person is, you know, you need to have an IEP meeting with the district, a virtual IEP meeting, and document the reasons that the virtual um, classroom isn't working. And I will tell you that some students are actually getting in-home services through their districts. Uh, I don't know what your district's position is. They are all taking different positions. But for students that really can't learn in this way, the district's going to have to come up with other things to do. But there's uh, some, oh, I'm sorry. Some, no, it's okay. There's presumably some adult that's responsible for childcare during the time that the student is in school and the parent is working. We'd have to look specifically at who that was and whether there's a way to reconfigure things. Um, it's, you know, without getting into the individual situation, could you work different hours to be available for some of students' learning time? Um, that might be possible if some of this is virtual and not real. Um, but, you know, there are, there are huge limitations in the situation. And um, I've just been thinking this entire time about how I would have just been like completely gonzo if when I had my young family, I was doing what you guys are doing now. So we're all stronger than we realize until we're tested. Um, but my hat is off to all you folks. Really. Absolutely. Is. Absolutely. And we, but we are aware of some districts where the aid is being dispatched to the house to, to be there while the child at the house, while the child is getting the distance learning um, and I don't know a lot of stories that are having that, but we are aware of a couple of districts that where that is that is happening and, and a possibility. So well, remember, we're supposed to be being flexible and creative. That's what the that's what Betsy DeVos told us, and I think that's a great idea. And when a district says we can't do that, then the question should be, why can't you do that? 
-hmm. Why can't you do that? You have the funds, the person's being paid, they're being kept on the payroll. What are they doing instead? There we go. Uh, someone else had made the comment because you were talking about the governor here in um, and the mayor in Los Angeles. They're saying our mayor and governor never addresses special needs kids in his briefings and I'm in New York City. Uh, so just wanted to shout that out. Uh, but they want to uh, know where- I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much it was addressed in briefings, but, but here in California, Senate Bill 117 came out really fast. You know, I recommend people talk to attorney Barbara Evanstein if you're in, in, in New York. She's, you know, got great resources for special education. I don't actually know what the state of New York is doing. I wish I did, but I just don't. But they Can have you can you spell Bar the, it's Barbara Evanston. Can you spell that name? Because somebody else had asked for that as well. E-B-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. She's in New Rochelle, New York. There we go. Uh, but they want to know, where can we find the distance learning plan? I, we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send that checklist off to them, but where do they find their distance learning plan? Do they ask for that? Write the school district and say, I want to meet with you to develop my distance learning plan, or I need a, a written copy of my distance learning plan. Okay. Um, I could send you one as an example that's whited out, like I'll have to white out the student's name. We'd it's love not, that. Not a lot. You'll see. It's, it's, okay. it, and, and frankly, this was the distance learning plan I was telling you about that I said to the mom, let's stop having them do this by phone. Let's, you know, document this. So one of the things I'm planning to do is adding to um, the distance learning plans for, you know, so that they are much more specific. Uh, somebody has written in and said, thanks. This is so, uh, thank you much, so much. This is super helpful. Okay, I wanna start at the top of the list on the Q and the A. Uh, what is the guidance with regard to compensatory services? Should we be looking to seek compensatory in the fall, summer, or both? And how do we make the justification? Well, let's see. The easiest question you ask is how do we make the justification? The answer would be to show how little you got and to show how much progress your student historically had been making and how much he regressed during school closure. The reason I read you that, that little comment about it, how most students are going to regress, you know, that basically sets the stage for comp ed. I don't think it can be um, implemented until school closure what I'm in, is over. What I'm envisioning is in the fall, a lot of IEPs to ask for comp ed, and then if the district is inflexible and doesn't do what they're supposed to do, then, you know, you take the next step and you go to due process. But you know, for those of you that have intensive special education IEPs and you're getting a fraction of that at home, the suggestion is that you're going to be entitled to comp ed. They, they'll hope you don't ask for it, but you know, you gotta you gotta ask to get it. So you you need to start thinking about what that would look like. Okay. Uh, somebody else says hello. We're in New Jersey. Need to know regarding the waivers. Uh, and this was asked as you were starting to speak, so you might have answered some of this. What are, what's being laid out and also for accommodations for the virtual inclusion for kids who are trying to get the kids included? Districts are not really having ideas for virtual inclusion currently. Schools are now closed for the rest of the year. We don't know the status of our ESY. Um. Well, that's an interesting comment. I guess the person is suggesting that the districts would do more like group learning in the, I don't know. within the 
benefits of, of telelearning. I've heard that, there, that, that some schools are getting groups of students together for even if it's small portions of the school day. So, you know, I think, there, I think there's a real opportunity here for us parents to be creative and to suggest things and to have kind of a why not mentality. You know, yeah. I mean, that's well, what we're if, seeing in the rest of our lives, right? When we see people playing basketball in their driveway because the park is closed, you know, or having a, a distance drink with their neighbors across the, the driveway. So don't feel like any idea you have is wrong to bring up. You know, you, you might be the first person that thought of it. And if somebody has inclusion goals in their IEP, it would be relevant to ask the district what kinds of virtual um, inclusion needs there are there was some discussion on the part of the federal government or excuse me it was on the part of the the legal um, service special ed connection but they were saying that one of the things districts should be doing is introducing parents to virtual support groups I would expand that and say what other uh, virtual social options might exist or be created for students with IEPs that's a good question and of course, we know that there's the peers program that is doing online virtual um, uh, social interaction groups. Um, so maybe that's something you could get your school to pay for. Who knows? Um, okay, are distance learning plans written documents that can be shared with the parents upon request? We would hope so, right? They are written documents and you should be entitled to a copy. My client that that was, was mentioned earlier was actually required to sign her distance learning plan. So I documented her distance district learning plan and I said things like, this is a temporary plan, it's not FAPE, we don't agree, these are the things additionally that we think could be done right now. Um, okay. Because is there like the fear that they'll take the signature on the distance learning plan as being an, you know, an agreement that you accept this as FAPE and then you won't be eligible for compensatory? Is that what the fear is? I don't know whether that's likely or not, but why not just erase the issue with one added sentence that awesome. clarifies that you're accepting this because it's what was made available to you, but not what was needed or what was appropriate. And that's you thinking like a lawyer. That's why we want you here, Bonnie. <laughs> so uh, uh, does this apply to students in a private school for autism? Uh, that's an interesting question. When you say at a private school, do you mean students that are unilaterally privately placed by their parents because they have a dispute with the school district about FAPE or, or students that are truly private school students because their parents don't want them to go to public school. It's a little hard to answer such a general question, but in, in California, the private schools that I'm hearing about, some of which have the non-public school certification and some don't, um, appear to be providing um, more in many cases than the, than the public schools. So, I mean, loosely, yes, the private schools uh, want people to stay in them. So nobody's gonna pay private school tuition unless you're getting something, right? I would think. Yeah, um, big problem. Well, we'll see what they answer to that, but we'll come back to that. Is the distance learning plan guideline state specific or federally dictated? It's not really, I don't know that it's even been codified yet. I, I think the districts across the states um, are all being told to do this. And I honestly don't know um, I don't know the answer to your question. 
but I think, you know, that most of the states are doing it and we're certainly doing it in California. I mean, because the other option would be that they're doing nothing. And if, if, if they're providing distance learning to regular ed students, then they have to be doing something for you. So I don't know what your state, what state you're in, but if they are providing education to children without disabilities, your child is also entitled to an education or that would be, you know, improperly discriminatory. So I don't know that it has to be called a distance learning plan. It could be called a modified IEP, but they have to do something. And I think that, you know, if they're smart, they're going to want to document what they're doing too, right? Because if they don't, I mean, that checklist that I read you at the beginning, was supposed to show you all the stuff that they, it's, it's entitled information to be documented. Mm -hmm. they, they are supposed to be creating a plan and a written record because they're anticipating that school is gonna open up next year. And then it, it's gonna be complete chaos. If there's no evidence of what they've done, they'll be really vulnerable to comp ed claims then. Okay, uh, somebody says, my child is nine in an inclusion class and had aid help him and give me a daily report, but not a one-on-one. -on -one. But aid is in the IEP. He had three days speech and social counseling. Since this started, no aid or special education has reached out. Social counseling has been Zooming with him. Speech just started two months later. Come to find out the other students with IEPs and, and without have been receiving private tutoring. What the heck? Yeah, so that's your comp ed claim. And I would, I would have an IEP right away. You guys, everybody's got to get on the horn and get these meetings scheduled. School's almost over. I don't think they're going to do IEP meetings during the summer. I mean, maybe they will, but I haven't heard that they're going to. And, you know, if you're getting nothing, the best way to get something is to document that you're getting nothing. And the best way to do that is with an IEP. I would stay away from the informal right now. I think you really want to have, a, you know, why, why is this time period where everything is harder and less available, less important than we're, when school is open? Like, why wouldn't we be doubling down now and insisting on documentation for what's to be done when this is a much more difficult situation and there's there's a fear that people are going to do less and you know what I forgot to say and I'm sorry I forgot to say this and this is only my opinion but I so SB um, 117 in California came out on March the 17th my perception is that there was about four weeks there where school districts thought they were going to get waivers for everything and it was time for everybody to have a breather and so then what happened is things rolled out that way for about a month and then they heard no waivers so all of a sudden it's like yo-yo boomerang so there there may there may have been a sense that there could be more loosey-goosey approaches to education during this time period and now everybody's been brought up short and some are correcting and some are not but i would you know with everything being the way it is you have to be more proactive and visible than ever because otherwise as you're going to see you're in some little black hole and other people are getting more stuff than you are and we don't know why that is but maybe that's because they were self-advocating you gotta self-advocate you know, for as long as I talk to you guys, and I'll be doing this, you know, till I'm old and infirm, you've got to self-advocate. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Okay. Uh, 
we are getting daily one-to-one -one instruction from the class teacher. What should uh, be our approach? Do we ask them directly? Please guide. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, my child attends a small independent school. Do the regu uh, regulations still apply to the independent school? We sort of have answered that, that it's nuanced. My son attends school three hours and then attends card clinic the rest of the day. At school, he receives speech therapy, reading, and math, and a one-to-one -one aid. I don't know what the... So the question is, do the regulations still apply to the independent school? Uh, but again... Public, independent schools are public schools. Charter schools are public schools, so yeah. Okay. I'm in New Jersey. I had an IEP meeting today. They refused to provide anything in today's IEP related to virtual learning. They refused to provide any document regarding virtual learning. File for due process. There you go. If a student had goals oh, for a letter that they've left you no choice but filing for due process or making a state complaint to your Department of Ed and see if you can, you know, dislodge a few, you know, goodies for yourself. Okay. If not, file. okay, if a student had goals related to behaviors in the classroom, but doesn't have those behaviors at home, how can that goal be measured? Can't. Okay, so uh, maybe there's other behaviors you can measure. Or maybe, maybe you can figure out a way to look at what about the home environment is less triggering and see if there's a way to have accommodations at school that would make the student more successful. Can you but speak if you're not having if you're not having behaviors at home because every time you get upset or sometimes when you get upset, you have a, a timeout space that really works for you, then maybe that's something we need to look at at school. That's just one example. But I think okay. parents are finding in some cases that they're getting I, I've been hearing that some parents feel like now they really see the deficiencies because they're working with their student at home and they feel like the districts underplayed them. Um, I'm also, you know, hearing that um, everybody's different, uh, everybody's experience is different, but there has to be stuff that we can extrapolate from the home experience to make our subsequent IEPs, you know, serve us better. Like if you, what? if your student is making a lot more progress at home, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Shannon. No, no, you're fine. If you're making a lot more progress at home with the type of instruction you're delivering, doesn't that suggest then that the IEP at school can be beefed up and that maybe it's not appropriately ambitious enough? You can be using this time either to show that what the district says your student can do, they really can't do, so that's an issue, or you can show that your student is so much more capable than he has been supposed to be, and that has implications for your future program. There we go. Somebody wants to know what is happening with IEP timelines since the distance learning? Are they still being honored, the timelines? Well, they're, they're somewhat relaxed until school closure, but the districts are, the districts uh, I find have been good about scheduling IEP meetings. Sometimes we're getting them in like a week rather than a month. It just seems to be much easier because people are at home. So, uh, I, you know, um, I haven't had a problem with getting IEP meetings at all. Okay, uh, another person says in Virginia, we have a C4L and that addresses some distance learning and what should be provided because we were talking about what is uh, different things in different states. Somebody else wants to know what is comp ed as a term? I missed that, sorry. Okay, compensatory education is a remedy that can be ordered for a district's failure to provide a free appropriate public education. 
So if you can show educational regression, it means the education that you got in that time period was not appropriate. And so as a remedy, you may be entitled to other additional education to try to bring you up to where you should have been if you'd gotten what you were supposed to. So when we file for due process, in California, the statute of limitations uh, is two years. So we prepare a complaint and it goes back what happened over the last two years. And if the student had academic decline or behavioral regression or uh, other things, the argument would be that, that under the IDEA, the district is required to remediate that with additional future services. And that, and so, you know, there's a presumption during school closure that there's gonna be academic regression. There's a presumption that there's gonna be a need for a lot of compensatory education. Does that mean everybody's gonna get it or does that mean you're gonna have to be assertive about it? You're gonna have to be assertive about it, but you're, you're on a strong footing with, with those presumptions in place. Okay, we are having the IEP tomorrow, virtual transition from elementary to middle school. We want to know the guideline to negotiate services for my son's transition to middle school. Well, I want to say there's really only one kind of transition IEP and that's when you transition from um, being a student whose parents hold their educational rights to being a student who's over 18 and um, exercises their own educational rights. In terms of the transition to middle school, God, are you talking about like real school or about virtual learning at home? The, the issues that I find that come up a lot in middle school is if the students in a general ed setting, all of a sudden you've got five teachers who are supposed to be implementing different parts of your IEP and that a much more tricky proposition than one teacher who's responsible for your classroom education. So I would really look at how things like that are going to work for you in middle school. Like, are you going to be able to move from class to class? What kind of supports are you going to have? What kind of uh, infrastructure do you have to make, have in place so that the teachers work in coordination? Um, you know, the problems tend to be a lot of the time things that are not easily fixed, like the size of your average public middle school and high school in the United States is too large. This has been studied. They're not developmentally appropriate. Um, it's really hard to go from fifth grade to sixth grade because of the increase in numbers of students versus the maturation level of a fifth grader. And really middle school was done to deal with elementary school overcrowding and not for some science scientific, you know, good educational reason. Um, we find, unfortunately, that special ed students have a lot of trouble in middle school and high school. And some of that has to do with school structure in terms of the number of different subjects. But also, there's a real tendency for people to get lost in the system. And frankly, a lot of educator burnout. I, I'm just seeing teachers and administrators that have too many kids, and they're just burned out you know they just can't plug the dike so um i find a lot it's unfortunately for middle school my son didn't do it but a lot of the students i'm involved with are are going to non-public or private school for middle and high school okay so does that uh, i'm sorry go ahead finish those are some of the concerns that come to mind with middle school Okay. Does every state have distance, distance learning plan? We just had our seven-year-old uh, with ASD and um, 
I'm assuming they're IEP, and I was not happy with the amount and quality of speech. It is at 50% from our current IEP. I'm in Pennsylvania, and they said, thanks, Bonnie. Well, you can contact the Department of Education for your state and get a lot more specific information. I suspect if you go to the Department of Education in Pennsylvania, they will have a page that talks about what they're doing during COVID-19. But generally speaking, and I want to dismiss your statement, um, I think there's some people in California, if they were getting half of their speech delivered, they'd be thrilled. Some people are getting no related services. Some people are, you know, I talked, to, I talked to a special ed education attorney after I did this distance learning plan because I was kind of shocked by how um, minimal it was. And her comment to me was, you know, each district is doing it differently and some districts are trying a lot harder to do it better and some districts are kind of capitalizing on the situation and providing as little as possible. If you're not happy with the distance learning plan you have, there's no reason you shouldn't have an IEP meeting and document those concerns and record the meeting. And this will all flow into your compensatory education prospects for next year. So you don't have to accept something that isn't working for you. There you go. Okay, they're giving some background. My daughter turned six years old in March. Her current triannual IEP ends, uh, ends the end of summer. Her IEP was started in March, but the second reconvened IEP meeting hasn't happened because of COVID-19 lockdown. LAUSD now wants to have a Zoom meeting and are forcing me to do a Zoom meeting for placement. She's in kindergarten at a non-public school. I had asked for retention back to kindergarten. Their question is, is it legal for LAUSD to force me to do an IEP meeting to change my daughter's placement now when I cannot tour the other special needs schools they want my daughter to go to? I don't have childcare, and so we'll have this meeting with kids at home uh, while the kids are home. Also, going through chemo, bless you, sending you a hug, and the LAUSD program specialist knows but wants me to hold the IEP meeting anyway. Well, IEP meetings have to be held at a time and place convenient for the parent. They're certainly entitled to use Zoom meetings now to, um, to meet the need to hold IEP meetings when it's not safe to meet publicly. Um, I feel like your question is so specific that if you want to have more of a conversation about it over the air, we, I mean, off the air, you know, we can certainly accommodate that. Um, but generally speaking, uh, if, they're off, if they're offering you a change of placement and you can't visit those placements and see them, that's a real practical problem. Uh, and I, I'm just trying to think about how you could address that in the short term. I guess you would just have to document it and when school reopens, then you can go look at those placements and until then your current placement is stay put and they can't change it. But you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of valid questions. So you want to reach out to us, you know, do so off the air and we'll see if we can give you some tips. LAUSD yeah, has been slow to come back online, but they are kind of coming back online now. And especially because you're in the LAUSD area, I would, I would recommend that you have a conversation with Bonnie. Uh, and we'll make sure that you, let's say it again right now, how do they reach you, Bonnie? You can just go to the Tolner Law Office's website and there's a very short form that you, you fill out. That'll get you um, a call with me. 
you can also reach me through my email, which is capital B, capital Y, A-T-E-S, at tonerlawoffices.com. And so if you send in a form, you don't hear from me, just like, hey, Bonnie. I mean, somebody this week actually was great. They heard us on the, on the air, and they sent me a little note, and they said, I want to consult with you. And I said, great, and we talked. And she had a wild situation wild 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 it was really interesting and it was playing out in a rural very northern california district and i always like to know what's going on um in other places so you know she had a very unique situation anyway i'm around okay love it uh will the compensatory education apply to both public and private schools if the public school is paying the private school to provide special education and related services, implicit in that is the requirement that the, the private school provide FAPE. And so the standards should be similar. Okay. What about the unions not allowing staff into homes? Well, I've heard a lot of different things about, about the unions and um, I don't know what's true and what isn't true, but I, I'm assuming there have been discussions about those things. I think I said on the air that somebody from LAUSD told me that they had a position that they were taking that they weren't going to do any face-to-face -face assessments um, until school closure ends. So I wouldn't be surprised if those discussions hadn't gone on. I mean, it's been very great for us to um, see the position that our healthcare workers have been put in. There are no easy answers in, in this situation. We didn't talk at all about assessments, but I can tell you that one way to spin it is if the district won't do a face-to-face -face assessment, ask for an IEE. I did that yesterday. That didn't go over so great, but I thought it was kind of fun. Um, You're going to have to tell them what an IEE is for anybody who doesn't know. Ask for to pay for a private evaluation at district expense if they can't do the assessment themselves within a reasonable timely fashion. I also said in another case to these parents, I was like, you know what? District hasn't seen your kid for a year, right? Because the student's in private school and now they can't assess because of COVID. So let's go get our own assessment. It's going to show your daughter's progressed a lot and that's going to be really good for our, you know, future case. So as I said, there's a lot of opportunity in, in the novelty of the situation. Uh, you know, keep your eyes, keep your eyes open. Well, and it's not just assessments for people not being allowed into homes. We know that there are some districts where they're saying that they will not pay for anyone to go in the home, whether it's the aid, uh, whether it's an aid um, from a private contractor. If you have an ABA provider that provides your aid, there are some districts who are saying, we're, we're not allowing anybody to work in the home, but that just makes more of a case for the compensatory education, does it, does. it not? It does. And okay. there, 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 there are different ways this is being handled in different places. So if um, Torrance says to a parent, we can't do this, um, the next question from the parent should be, well, how come other districts in the South Bay are able to do this? What is so different about my situation? And if they say, well, we've got a blanket wide county policy that prevents this, I would say, well, I don't want a blanket policy. I want an individualized determination that takes into consideration my situation. Very cool. Can someone draft a quick letter template on how to address a school on a formal meeting and topics to be discussed during COVID, general universal concerns? That's kind of what your checklist is, isn't it, Bonnie? Uh, well, I'd say that's kind of what the presentation is. 
Yeah. I mean, I, uh, can, I can try to take just the bullet points from this conversation and give Shannon a list of things, but it'd probably be better to know specifically, like the issues for a graduating senior are different from like the lady who's got a, you know, whose child is three, it's probably six now because it's her, her second triennial. Um, she's going to have different issues. The person going into middle school is going to have different issues. I mean, generally the issue is how the instruction, what the instruction is going to be and how it's going to be delivered and how progress is going to be measured and what's going to happen when school happens. Okay. Um, not working. I mean, they said that educators are supposed to be having brainstorming sessions with you. Ask for a brainstorming situation in a session for an IT consultation. Okay, my child has autism and a couple of rare autoimmune disorders. Viruses uh, like COVID can really make him sick and uh, have him need IV infusions. We're thinking of keeping him and his sister home for one or two months when school starts in the fall. He goes to a charter school in Texas. Is this even possible? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely possible. Home hospital instruction is available for regular ed and special ed students. And if you had a doctor's letter documenting that it is a situation in which um, we need to move more carefully, I don't think anybody's going to give you a hard time about that. You know, this is not the flu we're dealing with. No. Uh, can we ask to have our kid repeat their grade? In our case, our son is in the 11th grade. You can, and there's stuff in the IDEA and state law about retention. Districts um, resist retention because they, they want to get everybody through as fast as possible. But, you know, if not retention, then comp ed. Okay. Um, do, we, uh, do we ask for it as comp ed, or is there another term that we should be using, uh, for example, skill recoupment? Well, um, recoupment is usually used in the context of extended school, whether you had regression and how long it takes you to recoup skills. So you would want to document regression. The only recruitment data you would have would be from summer vacations of the past. But I suppose if you regress during summer when school's out for like 10 weeks, presumptively you're going to regress if you miss the better part of a semester and summer. So I guess what you would say is I want to discuss what compensatory education is appropriate given school closure and my daily documentation of student functioning and regress, regression during distance learning. Okay, uh, but we can use the term combat. Document. Yeah, compensatory education is a perfectly appropriate term to use. Okay, somebody uh, writes in and says that they're being instructed uh, what to do on their own, that they're pretty much on their own. So that they want to document that, right? Yeah, because uh, shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, can we ARD for ABA therapy for half the day or something like that? And for people who don't know, in Texas, they don't call it an ARD, they, call, they, they don't call they it an IEP, they call it an ARD meeting. Yeah. Yeah, I always think of aardvarks. I don't know why. That's you, can, you can have a meeting with the district and say, in light of school closure, this is something that's available. It would be helpful. In California, we have some people in those ABA services during school closure through their, their insurance. I don't know what the situation is in Texas, but um, it, it seems to me that 
you know, sky's the limit. Ask for what you want, and then you can see where the discussion goes. Why, you know, why not? Okay. Uh, in my son's IEP, it appears that he needs to learn all the pre-primer sight words by the end of his school year. By researching how to teach him that, I found out that he needs to learn first letter sounds and blending sounds, uh, when, then comes the primer sight words. We are thinking of homeschooling because here in uh, Spokane, Washington, they do not provide an aid for him to be in general ed. He is in a DI class where he does not get what he needs. He is six with moderate, oh, and it just skipped on me, sorry. Moderate autism and functionally verbal. Um, so I guess the question there is, you know, is, is home, is homeschooling an option when they're seeing that, or is there something else they need to do because the school gave a goal and he doesn't have the prerequisite for it? Well, the larger question is, could your student benefit from mainstreaming if he had um, a trained behavioral uh, therapist assisting him in school? And if that's not possible, then yeah, maybe you do have to consider homeschooling, but you know, that will remove certain social opportunities for the child. I would say, you know, there are several good special education attorneys in the state of Washington. You've got a project that kind of transcends school closure. It's really more of a, a FAPE challenge generally. So I would say you need a consultation um, with an attorney specifically uh, to, you know, find out what, what they think might be possible in your situation. Okay, is the distance learning plan as per IDEA and for all 50 states? And I think we, we've addressed that it's gushy, but yes, it should be, right? Contact your State Department of Ed and, and see what it's called and what they say needs to be done. Okay, child in private school is provided by public school because public school cannot handle child's behavior. Parent was asked to find a private school and parents do not pay tuition. So that's going back to our question before about is it going, is all these things going to apply? And you asked, are, who's, who's, by what, how, why is the child in a private? So does that answer your question for you? Well, it doesn't exactly, because here's the thing. If you put your child in a private school, in this, I only can answer this question in, in California and it's state by state, everybody gets to deal with, each state is allowed to deal with a private school as it chooses to. So in California, the state says if you know districts want to contract with, with private schools, a private school has to get a certification and become a non-public school. In those situations, there's a master contract between the public school district and the non-public school that um, assures that the non-public school is going to implement the IEP and provide FAPE. If you are in a private school by virtue of a settlement agreement and there's no master contract between the district and the private school, there are limits to the ways in which the public school can force the private school to do anything. So it, in your situation, um, you don't strictly have the right to require the private school to do anything but you certainly could have a conversation with them about what would be helpful. And if it isn't gonna work out, you gotta go back to your district and say, you know, this isn't working out. I know we had a settlement agreement, but 
I need you to reconvene the IEP team meeting because we've got to come up with something else instead that I can do. This isn't helping. And I'm always very careful when I do a purely private school settlement agreement to make sure there's language in there that says if the student is expelled or otherwise withdraws or needs to leave the school, the IEP team will come together within 10 business days notice of the problem and pick another mutually agreeable placement. And that, okay. those are sort of the options. Okay, uh, somebody commented that Governor Newsom's executive order states that in-person can be provided and should be considered as needed. So I'm, I'm not aware of that, but that's a very interesting statement. Uh, somebody else wants to know where no, can correct. we, that's correct. Okay. Uh, somebody that's great to know, isn't it? Cause then I would be asking for it. Uh, somebody else wants to know where can we see the recording later? And I have typed in that we're going to take the recording and we, I will put it up on autism lives, Facebook page, but I will tell you that it takes a while for me to process it and do whatever you should not expect it, um, for at least a week. And I know that that's harsh to hear, but it's, it's a reward for those of you who are here and we will get it to everybody eventually. Um, okay, uh, can we get tips for virtual IEPs? Are there anything that we can share, Bonnie, that would help? Um, yeah, that's for, a good question. It is. So, okay, the virtual IEP meetings are usually being done by Zoom. And I, I actually think they've been working really well. If you compare them to being in an IEP meeting where somebody that you want can't be there and they're on the telephone, this is way so much better. Um, you also have more control just in the sense that, um, I'm not quite sure what it is, but maybe it's because people aren't in, in quite as big of a rush because they aren't traveling. Like it's much more, it's much more well received if you just, like after an hour and a half, if you just say, hey, let's take a five minute break. So you're at home, you, you know, you, you leave the meeting room and you, you know, have your health break, whatever you need to do. Um, they have been circulating and it's a good idea to get before the meeting, like the progress report, the draft IEP, the proposed goals. So you can print those out at home and look at them and go to the meeting with your questions ready. But the meetings I've been doing in, in many cases, they'll actually put the IEP document up kind of in the middle of your screen so you'll be able to see it. Um, one of the things I was really pleased about is, let's see if I can show you guys. There's a great app and I get nothing from, from this uh, entity. They don't know I exist, but it's called, let's see if I can show you. Uh, can't because it's got people's names on here. Stop. Okay, it's called Rev. I don't know if you could see the little icon, Rev. Mm -hmm. It's really great. It's free. You download it to your to your smartphone. Uh, it records the IP meeting. If you need a transcript, they have a reasonably priced trans transcription service, and you can easily email from the um, from the phone. Okay. So when I would be in IP meetings and I would bring my phone into the meetings, I would um, oftentimes, depending on like where the speaker was sitting relative to where my phone was positioned my recording quality could be poor. Now I've got my phone right by my computer and it's, it's, it's everybody's coming in equally. So, um, so I've actually been good recordings. There hasn't been a lot of crashing. There hasn't been a lot of difficulty using the platform. 
I, I actually think it's been um, very interesting. And um, the other thing I anticipated was a lot more disruption of people's families and, you know, dogs and things at home. It's really been quite seamless. So always record those meetings and try to get your documents ahead of time. And then, you know, I mean, at first it seemed like everybody like crawled in in their sweatpants, but after we did like a few of these meetings, it was like, ah, come on, you know, we're not gonna like wear sweatpants for the next six months. So people have been, you know, suiting up and showing up. And if you, so how about this? You have the opportunity, if you need to during the meeting to, to, um, to shut off your video. So if, let's say, sometimes if I'm in mediation all day and I don't even have a lunch break or if I have a very short one, I can like bring my lunch back to the mediation and put myself on audio for five minutes and eat my lunch. You know, I, I've, gotten, um, I've gotten severely critiqued for some of the things I've eaten at IEP meetings. I've been told that like, we don't eat at IEP meetings, we only eat protein bars. I was like, well, watch this person put food in her mouth you know so i think there's a lot of advantages i mean uh, i don't have children at home though so you know easy for me to say right but they're actually working pretty well okay uh i just want to let everybody know we've got about 15 minutes left in the webinar so i don't know that i'm going to get to all of the questions i'm going to try to consolidate some of them um, and if I feel like the question may have already been answered, I'm going to skip over it. And my apologies if I'm misreading what you're saying. Uh, could the school move a child from an IEP to a 504 plan at this time? They wanted to do this last year, but I disagreed with it. Could they come back with the same request at this COVID time? Well, they could come back with anything they want to, but the response would be, you haven't worked with my child in, you know, four or five months. And here's what, here's, I'm the one that's worked with my child and this is what I see. I think, you know, I don't know what state you're in, but if anybody tries that with you, I bet an attorney would snap that case up. It sounds like a fun case to do. Not a great time, not a great time to try to take away people's uh, eligibility. Your idea of fun and, and mine are very different, Bonnie Yates. <laughs> what if I needed an IEP and I do not have the ability for a respite provider or a sitter during that time? My son's school is not mentioned in IEP meeting yet since school has been closed. Are they responsible for providing daycare, childcare during this meeting? No. Okay. The expectation uh, is that this is an extraordinary situation and you will find somebody in your, in your bubble who, who can watch your child or otherwise your child has to be in the meeting with you, but no, they aren't. Uh, okay. Uh, so somebody says we have the reverse of something somebody else has written in. The school dismisses behavior at home as not being relevant during distance learning. Kids are different at home than at school. Are the goals not mastered if they are not generalized to home? That well, sounds more know, like an idiot. I don't know, I don't know how they're going to they really can't measure goal progress until school reopens. And um, home behavior might not appear at school, um, but it might still suggest skill deficits or goal areas. It's a, it's a little hard to know what specifically is meant by home behavior that doesn't occur at school. Okay. Uh, could I consult with you directly on your due process, on, on your due process recommendation? I know you're not in New Jersey, but I literally have 15 days to accept this IEP and there aren't, there are a lot of things wrong with it. 
I'm not licensed in your state and I'm not allowed to give you legal advice. That's why I ask people to go to COPA, C-O-P-A-A.net. Also, because New Jersey's right next to New York, I tell people call Barbara Ebenstein and ask her who she would recommend to you in New Jersey. And Jackson, just a note for you that we had uh, someone that we love uh, put the, the, the link to Barbara Ebenstein in there. If you could grab that and give it, make it available to everybody, I would appreciate it. Uh, another question, my son is making progress during this distance learning, but the district does not want to acknowledge this as they are saying it's one-to-one -one working at home as compared to in-school setup. How to address this with the school? Well, the question is, um, what is fake, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe the best possible education would be one-to-one -one support and fake would be something less. But what you'd be trying to argue is that no, one-to-one -one support is necessary for the provision of, of FAPE. And, and it, so it will come down to, if you can show how much better your student does with one-to-one -one support, I don't think it's that good of an idea for them to just dismiss that subject. I think that should be looked at and that should inform future educational planning. And that's why we're really telling people to look at what you're doing during school closure and documenting what works because lawyers are planning as part of the comp ed to use that kind of data to show that, you know, more is necessary as the part as part of the IEP or more is necessary because of what the student didn't get during school closure. So I think that's relevant information. Well, we've got a couple here that are all of, of the same ilk that the kids are doing better at home. One says, my child is thriving. How do I document to continue virtual access for her? Video. Okay. Um, somebody else says that the student is doing better at home basically because they're actually being taught. Will that disqualify them from receiving comp ed? If they do better at home, it wouldn't necessarily qualify them to receive comp ed, but it would suggest a basis for attacking but if it's a California case, the last two years of education is not being appropriately ambitious enough under the Andrew F. standard. And somebody else wants to know, are we saying minute by minute comp ed? Like if, they were, if we were told they were supposed to get 360 minutes of speech, are, are they going to get 360? Are, are we, because I know the other day on the show, you said it might be more than minute by minute. Well, what I brought up the other day on the show was that learning rights proposal that it be a two to one ratio. I mean, I don't think it's going to be, and I don't think there's going to be some sort of on mass agreement. Um, comp ed is something that gets worked out in the individual case. In California, the law is pretty clear. It's not one hour for every hour of missed services under the ordinary circumstances, but um, you know, you should, you should start with what was missed and let them argue you down from there. You have to be able to show that the comp ed is, is sort of necessary for the recoupment. And so the question is, you know, how much comp ed is really necessary to get you to where you should have been if you've gotten the right amount of stuff. In okay, I don't know that this is necessarily a question for you, Bonnie, but they want to know, can students remain in CARD long term? And CARD is an ABA provider that you know, it's individual. So as long as you can make a case to your funding source that there's progress to be had and get your funding source, CARD, card keeps teaching. 
Um, so there's the answer to that. Somebody else says, I'm a provider in California. Thank you for being here. And two of our districts authorized slash requested in-person services for specific students. That's a yippy skippy. I uh, wish we could get everybody to do that. Uh, somebody else says, ESY is going to be distance learning for us in California. This is not addressing my students' needs. I wrote to the ed specialist of the district and she said that's all they're providing, uh, but daycare and summer camp will be opening. So it's not fair. What can we do? Have an IEP and if they won't address your problems adequately, for due process. I don't mean to be a broken record, but there's a system in place for addressing these things. It's called the IEP meeting. If the IEP team doesn't reach consensus and there's a dispute, the, the, the system provides for um, a resolution session mediation. And then if you can't resolve it in that way, a due process hearing where a judge decides. Those are the ways that things get resolved. Or you can okay. make a complaint to the Department of Education in California, but they're slow to respond, and I, I don't find it to be that effective. Somebody's saying they don't have access to Facebook. Is there another way to get the recording for the meeting? Yes, you can write directly to me. Jackson, will you put my um, email in there for them? And Bonnie, they want to know the name of the app again that you were recording, and they're wanting us to write that in. So Jackson, if you'll type in. Rev, R-E-V. Rev, R -E Rev. R-E-V. Um, app is Rev. Um, okay, and um, there we go. And, uh, and Jackson has also put in the link to Barbara Ebenstein, um, and, and it looks like it's connected to mine, so you'll have to separate them, but you can see them there. Uh, okay, hi Bonnie, question. If we choose to homeschool this upcoming year, can we still receive OT and speech services through the school district, or is it an all or nothing proposition? If you're in California, you can consent to the parts of the IEP you want and um, not elect to do the rest. So the okay. Be, um, the, I guess the problem would be, would the district be willing to let you be a homeschool student or would they treat you as a privately placed student? That's something that, you know, parents work out in individual cases with districts. So it's not out of the question, but it would need to be worked out so that the district wouldn't be concerned that it was gonna get dinged for falling down on its legal obligations by letting this child be educated at home. But essentially in California, if you wanna have a homeschool in your home, all you do is go to the California Department of Education website and fill in the very brief private school affidavit. And then there's no further inquiry as far as curriculum, what you're teaching or anything else. Uh, so what you'd have to do is you'd have to approach your school district and say, my student is gonna be a private student, but will you provide these services? And say yes or no. Okay, uh, the question is, can COVID time affect my four-year-old's IFSP? And you'll have to tell, because I, I can't even remember what an IFSP That's is. That's your uh, regional center um, under three, uh, at, uh, what is it called? It's a family service plan, intensive family service plan. Well, DeVos said that those had to be continued until such time as districts could assess and offer an IEP. So yeah, it will affect it, it will continue. Okay. What if the NPS is closed and is only offering consultation? What if what's closed? I'm sorry. 
The NPS, the non-public school. Uh, they should be offering some kind of distance learning. If they aren't, you should ask the school district to intervene. Okay. We had a one-on-one -on -one aid that the district was trying to remove prior to COVID. Fortunately, that did not happen since school closed before a program review meeting could take place. How do we address keeping the one-to-one -one for summer and fall, given that the present levels of performance that may have been justified, may have justified removal no longer exist? What is our strategy here? Well, unless a specific aid is written by name in an IEP, you don't have a right to have that person. I did have one case, which I always, as it was happening, I realized it was going to be kind of like one I'd always remember because it would never happen again. But they really did have the person's name in the IEP. And so the family invoked stay put and refused to consent to, you know, an IEP without that person. And so the case, you know, settled because essentially the district you know, had made a mistake. So you can probably keep an aid, you probably can't keep this person. And the way that you keep the services that are in your current IEP is when you agree to the distance learning plan, you indicate that it's temporary and it's not replacing your existing IEP. And under your existing IEP, if they try to take your aid away, there's a pretty child protective process that you can invoke that will prevent that from happening. Okay, uh, we have no ABA uh, private contractors going into the home, then what do we do? Uh, and I, I'm assuming this is if you, because there are some people that have a school aid, um, uh, but then this would be something they would document for comp compensatory education, correct? Yes. Okay, uh, can you provide... by independent school because to me independent school is like a continuation school or some other kind of school that in California is under the auspices of the Department of Education so I'd need clarification on what the school is and and how you're there and so on okay it sounds like that they're in a private school that they're paying for well if you're in a private school and you're paying for it the district is supposed to hold an IEP annually anyway and what they're supposed to offer you is a service plan and it's usually not very much stuff but they offer you some stuff like they'll maybe offer you a few speech therapy sessions or a few you know ot sessions but there's no formula for that it's really loosey-goosey okay. can, can you get retention if you are transitioning to k um you are done with preschool eligibility well, if you're transitioning to K and you're under six, education is not compulsory. So, you know, we've had lots of kids repeat preschool and go into kindergarten late or do a TK and then do it kindergarten. So there's different ways that that gets done. Yeah, it usually works out pretty great for people with autism because it gives them an opportunity to have a lot more social exposure before the focus shifts all up toward academics. Okay, we were told that our child may not have an IEP next year since he had been doing well academically. He has high-functioning autism and doesn't need support. Uh, and that this is, I think this is the one that they wanted to transition him to the 504. I'm, con I'm concerned because he has medical issues and can relapse at any time. I feel the IEP protects his rights, not only with autism, but with his medical issues rather than a 504 plan. 
Yeah, I mean, we could have a separate discussion about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, but just for a shorthand way of looking at it, an IEP offers you a lot more protection in terms of discipline, in terms of due process. And what I found is most kids that have an eligibility of autism, even if the district doesn't feel that their autism has an academic impact, that's not the test. The test is, does it have an educational impact? So that means if it affects you socially, emotionally, in terms of your activities of daily living, or these other things that we assess for when we do a comprehensive evaluation, there is an educational impact of your autism and there would be ways to address that with other services, just maybe not academic ones. Eligibility can't be taken away without the district filing for due process and proving that you're no longer eligible. And I think that's a non-starter with autism, but I do find that what districts sometimes are trying to do is if a student has autism and he has a lot of ABA services, one like LAUSD is systematically trying to take these programs back by alleging that the student's autism doesn't have any impact at school. But like the case I'm doing along those lines now, it just like makes me want to stand on my head because I see the kid and his socializing is, is like not appropriate. You know, he, can, he can do the work, but he's not moving ahead in these other areas that are going to prevent him from eventually getting a job if he doesn't get better socialized. Okay. And I'm going to apologize that I'm not going to get to all these questions, but I'm going to squeeze in one and a half more. My son ages out at the end of June. Not being able to go to school has made him regress and, it, and he's having a lot of behaviors. What can I do for him so he will be ready to transition to adult programs? Is he graduating with a high school diploma or is he graduating with a certificate of completion? If he's graduating from high school with a high school diploma, you'd have to file for due process right now to trigger stay put and prevent graduation. And then you would have as part of the discussion what services he's gonna get and for how long. So for example, um, if you're a 12th grader and you have IEP goals and individualized transition plan goals that you're not gonna meet because of school closure, maybe you're gonna do an extra year of 12th grade. If you are a student who is um, going to graduate on your 22nd birthday with a certificate of completion, the question would be, are you entitled to any comp ed after your 22nd birthday? Okay. If you are in a settlement agreement and it ends this year for services and I can't obtain the services due to agency closure, can I extend the end of the agreement due to COVID-19? I still have $19,000 to use. That is a very interesting question and it would depend upon how your settlement agreement is written. So you should have an attorney look at your settlement agreement and you should have that attorney work with you to come up with arguments that will allow you to access those services. I mean, equitably speaking, you know, it's not as if you've been sitting at home eating bonbons and watching TV and that's why you haven't been able to access the services. I would think that a good attorney would be able to help you make those arguments. When I do a settlement agreement, I always put a stay put clause in that spells out what services the student's gonna get if there's a dispute. And I don't always succeed, but I always try to make the services be whatever the student is getting through the private settlement agreement. 
Okay, we are unfortunately all out of time, and I know that there were a handful of questions we didn't get to. I want to let everybody know that Bonnie is a regular on Autism Live and answers questions. Uh, that usually happens on Monday, on Monday's live show, and so the questions we didn't get to, I will bank those for the next time that we have Bonnie live on Monday. I don't even know. Do we have you on live on this coming Monday, Bonnie? No. We'll talk. Yeah. All right, so, um, but I apologize, and we will get information that you guys asked for as quickly as we can. Bonnie's got a couple of things that she uh, said that she would send us while we were talking, so we'll make sure to get all of those, and we'll get it to you as quickly as we can, folks. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for being here. We're going to have more town halls coming up um, in the future, so I appreciate you guys being here. I hope that if you have an opportunity, tune in to Autism Live for our live shows, which are 10 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. So um, do the math for where you are. That's one, right? One o'clock for uh, East Coast. And we love interaction and we have experts like Bonnie who answer questions um, in that format. We so, and they're saying, thank you so much, Bonnie. Thank you for everything that you do. And they're saying that this was amazing. I appreciate you all for being here. And we had a couple of technical glitches, but we got through them and appreciate you all. I will uh, see you guys all if you tune into Autism Live. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bonnie, tell us quickly, Tolner Law Offices, what's the, what's the, um, the email or the website address? It's Tolner Law Offices, right? I think it's Tolner Law Offices. What I was thinking, Shannon, while you were sort of getting ready to sign off was, you know, I really, I'm a very social person, so thank you for improving my social life this afternoon. <laughs> thank you all so much for all the great participation in the, in the panel. We're figuring this out together. It's not easy. You guys are, you know, uh, just uh, shining examples of what human beings will do for their, you know, loved ones. So it's always really inspiring for me to see that. Let's just keep figuring this out, you know, as we go. Let's do our best. Wonderful. Thanks again, Bonnie, for your time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye for now. Guys, be safe. Thanks for watching Autism Live. To subscribe, click here. And if you'd like to check out some more of our videos, click here.